Hey, you're listening to the C3 Network Podcast with Dan Holland. Our mission is to create a network of micro churches that are finding, teaching, and equipping people to be on mission. Our hope is that this encourages you. Be sure to leave us a review so you can help us share our message with more people who need to hear it. And now, Dan Holland. Today, we're traveling to our third Christmas town. Now, we've traveled from Hebron to Bethlehem, and today we're continuing our journey to Jerusalem. And we're not going to travel there alone. We're going to see some others that have also traveled to Jerusalem to search out something or somebody who's worth traveling for. The Christmas season has become synonymous with traveling, right? Have you noticed that? Somebody's traveling to see you or you're traveling to see somebody. Some years may be a little different than others, but normally the Christmas season is full of travel. City streets are crowded. Ubers are hard to come by. Airports. Airports are crazy busy. We talk about how busy the airport is, like it's unexpected. But we travel still uh, by air anyways during the holidays. You have to show up hours early just to make it through security lines as you compete with thousands and thousands of other travelers to remove your shoes and your belt. In fact, last year, 115 million Americans traveled during the Christmas season. That's over one-third of the country. So why has Christmas become so synonymous with traveling? It's because this is the time of the year we just want to see those we love and care for the most. I remember growing up and many Christmases, we'd load up the station wagon, an old green station wagon, and we'd travel to visit Grandma and Aunt Terry in Phoenix. What should have been a three-and-a-half-hour trip turned into quite an adventure whenever there's five kids involved. But those are memories I'll never forget. And for so many of us, we have memories of traveling on Christmas to see those we love. We travel to see family and friends that we haven't seen in years. Now, I'm in Central Florida, and every Christmas, millions come from around the world to spend their Christmas with their favorite cartoon mouse. Christmas is filled with traveling. And really, it's always been that way. All right, as we continue the Christmas story today and we travel to Jerusalem, we're going to meet some men that traveled a long way to visit someone that was worth seeking out and worth traveling for. At least they thought he was worth the effort. So we're going to see what these wise men or magi were traveling for. Now, before we jump in, you may know this, but if you don't, here's some Christmas trivia. Even though the song says, we three kings, according to the Bible, they weren't kings, they were magi or magicians or wise men. We have no idea how many there were, only that they had three kinds of gifts, which were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, how many magi there were is, honestly, it's anyone's guess. I'm sorry that I just ruined somebody's favorite Christmas carol, but I'll be kind and not even talk about the little drummer boy or the fact that snowmen can't talk. So let's jump into Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So why did the wise men or the Magi travel to Jerusalem instead of Bethlehem? After all, as we saw last week, we know that Jesus was born in the little town of Bethlehem. So did they get the wrong directions or put the wrong address into the GPS? Why Jerusalem? Why travel as far as they did only to show up at the wrong, in the wrong city? Did they, just not, did they just not want to ask for directions? Actually, that's how they ended up in Jerusalem. They were following their best understanding. 
I think to understand why, there's another question we should ask. We need to know why these non-Jews would even travel for this event in the first place. Now think about it. Dudes go into this this much effort to throw a baby shower. What's up with that? Well, most likely these men were from Babylon. And if if that was the case, they were most likely influenced by another wise man who had come long before them. Who was that wise man? It was Daniel. In case the name Daniel doesn't ring a bell, let me offer a quick refresher. 500 years earlier, Daniel and his friends were taken by King, uh, the king of Babylon, who's Nebuchadnezzar, as prisoners of war. It had to have been heartbreaking and terrifying for them, but remember, they served a God who is never surprised and plans ahead. What was in Babylon that Daniel and his friends were placed among the Babylonian wise men where they excelled at their work, and Daniel, under the blessing of God, eventually climbed through the ranks to become the leader of all the Babylonian wise men. That's where they would have learned about the prophecies. And one of the prophecies that Daniel no doubt discussed with the wise men was Balaam's prophecy found in Numbers chapter 24. Look at verse 15. Then he spoke his message, the prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of one whose eye sees clearly. The prophecy of one who hears the words of God who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are opened. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheth. Edom will be conquered. Seir, his enemy, will be conquered. But Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. See, Daniel was a man who lived in a godless nation, and he taught his beliefs to a godless nation. And because he did, and because he was obedient, 500 years later, as the prophecy would have been handed down, eventually to these wise men, they traveled this great distance to worship this king of the Jews. Now, just a side note, just because we might live in a godless nation does not give us license for disobedience. So being familiar with the prophecy in Numbers 24, when the wise men saw the star, they went directly to Jerusalem in anticipation of finding that newborn king because it made perfect sense. If you're looking for tools, you go to the hardware store. If you're looking for milk, you go to the grocery store. And if you're looking for medical advice, well, you know, you go to your brother-in-law's Facebook page. (laughs) Okay, maybe not, but you get the idea. If you're looking for a new king of the Jews, where better to look than Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem, the capital city, was referred to as the city of God and regarded as the center of religion in that time. Most anyone, not just the exceptionally wise, would assume Jerusalem would be the birthplace of the king of the Jews. Now, if we were God, that's how we would have told the story, right? That's how we would have had it happen. But we're not God, and his ways aren't always obvious to us. If you remember last week, oftentimes, while we're playing checkers, God's playing chess. Same board, different game. His ways and purposes are so much greater than we can understand. And while we may not understand what God is doing, we can definitely trust why. For God so loved the world. Turns out that it was in a small, out-of-the-way village just up the road from Jerusalem that Jesus came into the world. The wise men didn't see that coming, did they? Because they only had a part of the truth, and they relied on their own wisdom. 
So they knew Balaam's prophecy, but not Micah's. If they had, no doubt, they would have hightailed it straight to Bethlehem. The wise men knew Numbers 24, but they didn't understand Micah 5. They didn't know until the chief priests filled them in. And we go back to Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Jerusalem is the place where the Magi went to find God. And just like those wise men of old, it is still common for us to look for God in logical places. So we go to church, listen to sermons, we come to these micro churches and we hear truth presented. We go to Bible studies, listen to Christian radio, send our kids to Christian schools. We ask wise pastors or trusted friends. We go to our, our Jerusalems, the, place, the places that make sense to us, to discover truth about God and about faith. And just like the Magi, when we seek truth, we'll find it. That's a promise from God. The question then becomes, what do we do when we get to Jerusalem? What do we do as we discover truth? I ask because sometimes when we search for truth, we only find the next step. And really, we can respond in one of two ways. We can respond like the Magi did, or we can respond like King Herod and the rest of Jerusalem did. Now, let's go back to Matthew verse 3 says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with them. Why in the world would all of Jerusalem feel disturbed by the birth announcement of a new king? Here's my best guess. They were nervous that a new king would disturb status quo. Their current life might not have been great, but it was familiar. Now think about it. Familiarity feels comfortable. Regardless of how bad current circumstances might actually be, familiarity feels comfortable, right? But change, well, change often feels like a threat. Sometimes we like learning new stuff, but we aren't crazy about living new ways. So what did the people in Jerusalem do? When they met these travelers from afar off, when they gave them the information that they were looking for, when the travelers left, what did they do? They did absolutely nothing. Listen, information doesn't equal transformation, but information leads to transformation. King Herod had the information. The traveling kings wanted transformation. King Herod saw Jerusalem as the destination, so he didn't investigate the news, and he certainly didn't travel to Bethlehem to lay eyes on the new king. Now, 33 years later, the people would demand King Jesus be crucified, but at the time of his birth, they did nothing except feel disturbed. And unfortunately, it's the same response many of us have whenever we hear truth. We don't really want to be disturbed, so we do absolutely nothing with it. I know eating a dozen donuts is not good for my health or my waistline, but have you tried those cream-filled powdered donuts? I know that exercising every day is important, but sleeping in is easier and less disruptive to my life. And what's true in everyday life is also true with our spiritual life. How often do we hear a message from the Bible and we think, now that's, that's really good, but we then fail to live it out on Monday through Saturday. The benefit comes not to those who know what is right, but to those who consistently do 
what's right. That's according to Jesus and your personal physical trainer. How often do we read the Bible and we think, I should really do that. I should listen more and talk less. I should pray for those who are jerks to me. I should forgive those who hurt me. You know, recently I was in a meeting with business owners from across North America and one agenda item had to do with someone that came off the rails. So he proceeded to lie, gossip and slander others who are in our network. It got so bad that I've had meetings with attorneys because when dealing with evil people, you get police and attorneys involved. But then at the end of that meeting, I led a prayer. Now keep in mind, this is not a church meeting and all the folks on the call are not believers, but I prayed for everyone. And as I prayed, I was convicted to pray for the, the guy in Seattle who had come off the rails. And so I did. Point is, sometimes we know what's right, but then don't actually put it into action. And what we know we should do, why do we do that? It's because saying you want to know truth is one thing while seeking truth is another, but actually living it out, putting it into practice, what we know to be true, going where it takes us, now that's life-changing. It's easy to fill our heads with knowledge, yet struggle to put it into practice. See, it's not what we don't know that bothers us. It's what we do know, but we just refuse to practice. And you see how Herod responded. He was so disturbed by the disruption that this newfound truth could possibly cause a new king that would threaten his power, that he devised a plan that was built on a lie. We continue our story in verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, doesn't that sound great? One king choosing to worship the king of kings, and I have no doubt those wise men would have gone back. They would have gone back if it were not for God giving them a different route home. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. You see, God knew what Herod was up to. He knew that he wasn't really interested in being changed by the truth. He knew that he was threatened by the very presence of this new king and what that would require of him as the current king of the Jews. He knew Herod's heart, and he also knew the heart of the Magi. Herod and all of Jerusalem were content with just knowing the truth. The religious leaders informed Herod and the wise men of where Jesus was to be born, but chose to stay put when the wise men went on their way. It's just a bit perplexing to me. After all, they were the ones who knew from Micah's prophecy that the Messiah, the one that they had been waiting on with great anticipation for centuries would be born in Bethlehem, but they weren't interested enough to let the truth change them. They were a people who knew and loved scripture, but it never moved them enough to seek Christ. They were content with knowing, but the Magi were intent on going. I think sometimes we can mistake knowing about God without actually knowing God. Studying God's word, you know, is absolutely necessary for those who are followers of Jesus. It's, it's fundamental. 
In fact, on another occasion, Jesus offered such a strong warning to all those who would hold up their goodness while ignoring the truth. However, it is possible to confuse the study of scripture for actually following Jesus. Jesus is not nearly as interested in how much we know, but in do we go? Jesus warned religious leaders of his time about this. He said in John 5.39, I love this verse, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You listen to the familiar words that he spoke at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 24. You, you recall, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then many years later, the apostle Paul spoke similar words to the church at Philippi in Philippians 3, 16. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. And in other words, don't worry about what you don't know. Put into practice what you do know. That's what the wise men did. In Jerusalem, the Magi were faced with a choice, a choice that had huge implications. They could be content with knowing about God or be intent on going to know God personally. Now, if you look on a map, Bethlehem was only a stone's throw away from Jerusalem. It wouldn't take but a short time to make the trip from Jerusalem over to Bethlehem. Herod, the religious leaders, and all of Jerusalem weren't willing to make the trip. 10 kilometers, that's it. It's a little over, what, six miles just south of Jerusalem. That's where Bethlehem was. And they thought they were close enough, I guess, but they couldn't have been further from the truth. What about you? You may be so close, but you could still be so far. Maybe you've grown up knowing about God, about Jesus, about church, about morality. How have you been going? How are you letting that knowledge change you? Have you stopped at knowing? You know, sometimes we get stuck in Jerusalem because knowing is easy. We can sound and look like we have it all together, but are you content with knowing or are you intent on going? So where are you today? Are you in Jerusalem still searching for truth, gaining more knowledge? Have you moved that knowledge into action? Have you taken the truth and let it change your life? Maybe today you need to hear for the very first time Quit being okay with just knowing about God and get to actually know God. Wise men still seek him. That's what the Christmas story is all about. God becoming one of us so we can know him personally. Or maybe there's a truth that you know, but you haven't let it change you yet. You've been content with knowing, but you need to get going. Wherever you are today and whatever next step you need to take, we have a God who's made himself known through his son, Jesus Christ. And if we seek him, we will find him. That's a promise. And maybe for some of you, at one time you did seek him and live for him. But as things have turned out, if we're being honest, you're not seeking him. Something happened and you've been living on autopilot. Maybe you felt tired and worn out. Maybe your next step, maybe, maybe your next step is just to stop running and start living again. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus and come alive again. When you seek him, you'll find him. And when you find him, you'll be in awe of him. Nobody will have to tell you to worship him because when you truly come to know Jesus, his, I'm talking about his majesty and his holiness, worship becomes a way of life, not simply something that's a theological idea or, or ritualistic. 
There's no greater decision that you can make today than to give all of yourself to the one who gave up everything, all the riches of heaven, to come make himself known to you. You'll never regret the decision to live at the radical center of God's will. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every man, woman, and child who seeks you still. And I pray, Father, that we will make whatever the journey is to find truth that leads to Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this podcast, we post a new episode each week. So be sure to subscribe and leave us a review so you can help share our message. We'll see you next time.